Rob Cox, the global editor of Reuters Breaking Views in New York. During the presidential campaign last year, Donald Trump expressed admiration for the gold standard. That may not be such a surprise for anyone familiar with the real estate developer's, shall we say, gilded tastes. He did, after all, launch his campaign by riding down a golden escalator at Trump Tower in Manhattan. But he wasn't alone. Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Ben Carson, all of whom challenged Trump for the Republican nomination, were admirers of the gold standard, too. It's ironic, since it was actually a Republican president, Richard Nixon, who took the country off the gold standard at the start of the 70s. Yet there's this strong pro-gold standard strain in the Republican Party. To try to untangle this odd American, if not just Republican, fascination with gold, I had Jim Ledbetter swing by Times Square to discuss his new book. It's called One Nation Under Gold, and it came out last week. As you'll hear, this is not a new debate. Gold is woven into the founding myth of the nation. It's even referred to in the Constitution. And there's been a long correlation between gold's popularity, economic crises, and, well, the sort of populism that we're seeing today. Plus, there's The Wizard of Oz. Give a listen. Jim, you and I have talked about this book, I feel like, yeah. over, the, over the last couple of years, yep. um, often over drinks. And, yep. and, and uh, there, you've told me so many fascinating anecdotes about it. And and so I know I kind of know the answer to the question I'm going to ask you. You know, I know you've been working on this for a couple of years. Yeah. But why now? Why, in a sense, why why does this book relevant? You know, to the the current state of affairs. So, I I began working on the book in 2012, basically watching the Republican presidential debates of that year, and noticing that there were seven men on stage, six of whom said. If elected president, they would either restore the United States to a gold standard or seriously consider restoring the United States to a gold standard. And then that policy or that promise ends up in the 2012 Republican platform for the first time, you know, in decades, many decades, and and, and again in 2016. So it occurred to me there's no other country in the world where that particularly kind of retroactive, retrograde policy is being debated at that high level in a major political party. And why is that? You know, so so the more I dug into it, kind of why why is that appealing to a Republican primary voter? Why are Americans so obsessed? Right. Why are Americans so obsessed with gold when, you know, we we haven't had a, a, a currency tied to gold for nearly half a century? What makes this appealing? And I think part of the answer is that the some of it grows out of the Great Recession, right? So you 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 have a deep distrust in in a monetary system that clearly cannot prevent you know the, some of the biggest mm. economic crises of, of of modern times from happening. So so those are legitimate criticisms. I think you you and I probably share some of them. Sure. You have an incredibly complex system, and I think part of the appeal of gold as a monetary standard is its relative simplicity. Although it's not simple at all, but it looks simple and it feels simple. It's shiny. It's, it's heavy. shiny, and it's 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 there is a populist slash fundamentalist yeah. aspect to it as well. That it 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 is somehow reassuring to people the idea that. There's something that backs up their money, number one, and also something that's historically associated with the United States. I mean, the United States is no longer at the at the kind of epicenter of gold production, but it still produces quite a lot of gold and at one time. And, and during very important parts of the country's history, it was the largest gold, gold producer in the world. And it kind of, uh, along with railroads and some other things, it kind of established America well, as this a creation story of the American is. West and the 49ers. And it absolutely is. And in fact, there was a uh, this is perhaps not that widely known, but there was an earlier 
gold rush. Before the 1848-1849 the rush, there was a, a, a rush in the North Carolina and Georgia area in the 1820s that actually produced all of the gold for the U.S. Treasury up until the, 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 the middle mm. part of that, of that century. So it really, and it's, of course, gold and silver are mentioned in the Constitution. It's, it's woven into our national character, for better and worse. Do you think, I mean, it, let's just dispel the idea that could, could we actually have a return to the gold standard. We can't. No. Can we? I mean, this no. is. No. It's. I mean, look. It's. It is. Uh, there. There's there so many reasons why. One reason is we. We had a commission in the early '80s, chaired by Donald Reagan, who was then the Treasury Secretary, to study the role of gold in the United States economy. And this would have been what 15 years after Nixon, essentially. This is yeah. This is about a decade after after yeah. gold is decoupled from from the dollar, and the dollar is free floating. And look, the economy of the 1970s is hardly salutary, uh, and so you can understand why why some people would would. Would, would want to return. But one of the things that became clear as that commission held its often chaotic proceedings is that even people who advocate a return to a gold standard don't necessarily agree what a gold standard is. Mm. So you can have a gold coin standard where the only money that actually works for you and I to spend to buy our morning coffee is some fraction of a gold coin. Um, you can have a gold bullion standard. You can have a gold exchange standard. And as with many political topics that in, invite passion, the people, you know, it's the narcissism of tiny differences. The people, <laughs> the people who care about this stuff care so much that they hate the guy that's really, really close to their right, opinion right. more than the guy, they hate the guy who disagrees with them. And so they couldn't even agree on, on what a return to a gold standard would be. Is there be. even $17 trillion of gold? No, no, <laughs> there isn't. And so second of all, let's say you restore uh, the, the, uh, the conversion of, of gold to dollars. At what rate? Mm. How would you calculate the rate? The current market well, rate? Well, it had been pegged, over the right? last. I mean, that was one it of was the problems. Pe- it was pegged at, at $35 an ounce yeah. uh, by the Bretton Woods system, and that kind of clearly became, over time, unworkable when Bretton Woods fell apart. So if you fixed it now, you could, there, there are any number of methodologies that have been suggested that are off by orders of magnitude. So someone's going to come out a massive winner, and someone's going to come out a massive loser. The third thing is it's it's massively impractical under under any of these definitions you know we would be back to what john maynard keynes called the, the use of a barbaric relic to peg our money you know digging massive holes in the ground in order to create this metal that has to be stored somewhere else underground and heavily guarded and it's tremendously inefficient and then if if you know given the the, the, the billions and trillions of dollars that 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 transact throughout the globe every day um all this gold has to be sort of shifted around in this this kind of cartoonish way it it is it is massively impractical but at the same time the impracticality of it is for some of its advocates part of the appeal the the idea is that if government can only spend money that that it has to back up in gold that will I mean, is this, limit this, the this amount. is the same appeal that Bitcoin has, obviously, because there's just so much Bitcoin right. uh, that can be mined, and therefore it has a store of value that is somewhat the the, the, bit, the Bitcoin comparison instant. is so is so interesting because on the one hand, here are completely opposite things. Gold is the historical, physical embodiment of value in money, you know, going back thousands and thousands of years, and its value is in its very physical existence, whereas Bitcoin exists only in a, in a mathematical right. equation and is a, is, a, is a virtual currency and is a very, very new um, minting. At the same time, I think there is substantial overlap in the audiences to which these two currencies appeal. Both do an end run around central banks, which is very appealing to, to this group. Both, as you say, 
have a, a, a physical or, or a mathematical limit in terms mm-hmm. of how much they can be and therefore, you know, can, can only take growth so far. And I have se- seen some interesting plans to apply the blockchain technology that Bitcoin uses to some kind of digital gold. Again, digital are they practical? Gold. Digital gold, yeah. You, yeah, I mean, there have been, right. been some companies who've, who've tried to invent a, a basically gold-backed digital currency. So it's like Bitcoin it? for gold bugs. Yeah, uh, and again, you know, it, it's going to excite a very small group of people a, a great deal. Um, I don't think it has much practical application, but it does help kind of keep these debates I'll alive. I'll look for the, the uh, late-night infomercials on the uh, Definitely. Bitcoin that, for that, gold. Yeah. Um, By now, <laughs> what? Speaking of which, I mean, what? What do you think the gold bug folks are going to see when they read this book? Or what, well, are they going to freak out that you are basically saying that, as you just told us, it's impractical? Right. Definitely, there are people out there who are heavy investors in gold who would like to see a return to a gold standard, either because they think it will improve the value of their portfolio, or mm-hmm. and or because they 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 genuinely believe it as a, as a kind of political philosophy, and they are probably going to disagree with my thesis. At the same time, a great deal of this book particularly the the 20th century part of it, is really about the long, slow march to allow Americans to actually own gold legally. I think a lot of people, particularly younger folks, forget that for about 40 years in the middle part of the 20th century, it was not not legal to own gold in any form aside from jewelry, fillings, this sort of thing. You could not buy a gold coin legally in in this country or or own gold worth more than $100. and, And there were a couple of exemptions for like, artistic value, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. That prohibition, and I use that term quite deliberately because I think it was as ill-conceived and as um, uh, damaging as the, the prohibition of alcohol, that prohibition was never meant to be permanent. Or to the extent that it was meant to be permanent, we, there's, no, there's no record of it. It was, it was an emergency provision. Literally the first thing that FDR did upon taking office was to pass uh, an emergency banking bill that shut down every bank in the United States and made it illegal to own gold. You had to, you had to turn in your gold to the government and you were reimbursed at a rate that was well above the market rate. So the compliance level is deemed to be high, uh, although there's some, there's some question about how much gold was smuggled out of the country. But the banks were, you know, the, the healthy banks anyway, were restored and reopened within a matter of days or weeks. Right. The gold co- prohibition stuck around. And, you know, as with many things that the government does, what looks like a good idea at one point can look like a terrible idea, you know, five or ten years later. But actually, changing it is tremendously difficult. And and so for for forty years, it was illegal to own gold in this country. And I think a lot of the political thinking and rhetoric around restoring that right to own gold then kind of transfers, you know, then it's the same rights to have it be the basis of our currency. So I actually kind of cleave those arguments, whereas for a lot of people, there's a continuity here. But I do think that the, I really hope that the, the, the people who are very passionate about gold will enjoy and learn from the history in this book about that struggle to return gold ownership to American citizens. One of my favorite tales is uh, in, in, in chapter six of this book. And this takes place in the late 50s in Sparks, Nevada, so kind of outside of Reno. And there is a newish 
casino called the Golden Nugget that serves fried chicken, and that's their that's their shtick. It's basically slot machines and right. chicken, and, and 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 Reno in these days was really undeveloped. I mean, it was a desert. It was a kind of like a diner with with slots. Right. And the owner was a bit of a, a self promoter, and he he commissioned a fourteen pound statue of a rooster made out of solid gold. <laughs> uh, the people who actually cast the thing had a permission note from the Treasury Department that this was okay because it was a, a work of art. And it's sure enough, it, it ends up in the casino. Um, and it's a big hit, very popular. And then on one summer afternoon, federal marshals come with, you know, loaded guns, rifles and seize the rooster and and put it in jail. And then there is literally a federal trial for two and a half years about whether this is a, uh, a proper use of gold within the Treasury guidelines, which is ludicrous. I mean, the, <laughs> amount, the amount of effort that went into putting this metal bird in jail is comical. And, you know, they brought in art historians and estheticians to testify about the nature of statuary versus its commercial use. And this was all within the realm of the law, but the law sure. had clearly become ridiculous. And and so those types of tales, I think, will appeal to the folks who, you know, are very passionate about about gold as why, an investment. Why do you think those folks, well, I mean, certainly the people that are most in favor of a return, or at least the rhetoric about a return to the gold standard, you mentioned the Republican platform of 2012. It also and made an appearance in 2016. Yep. Um, and, and I remember going around the RNC and, and talking to some of these folks on the floor of the of the convention. And, you know, as you said, the narcissism of, of, of small differences oh, was extraordinary. And um, But why do you think this appeals to Republicans in particular. I, know, I mean, I don't, I don't recall this being part of the left's view about of the. No, world. there are there are a handful of, uh, as it were, like kind of left wing gold bunks, including oddly, uh, I haven't really talked to her about this, but Nomi Prinz, who's uh, sort of a, a left wing historian, mm. historian and writer and former banker, uh, I noticed recently has come out in in favor of a gold standard. I'm kind of curious about that, but that's a, we're, that's really kind of duckbill platypus right. territory. This is <laughs> this is a very rare species. It corresponds nicely with other aspects of what is today's Republican Party, a kind of fundamentalist attitude toward religion, you know, a, a desire to move the clock back on things like civil rights or gay and lesbian rights. It, it, it's it, a monetary it, system that goes back it, to exactly. the Bretton Woods. It, yeah. And it's and it and it's of course it's the it's if you literally had a gold standard, the United States government would not be able to spend a fraction of what it spends. So it fits into the small government philosophy and, and ideology of, of much, not all of the Republican Party. Ironic then that it was Richard Nixon. that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, we also I'm, created the EPA, I guess. It's all, uh, uh, some uh, of the absolutely. <laughs> and uh, the Bretton Woods system was destined to fail. It was in some ways too successful in that in the 50s and, and 60s, you have tremendous growth in places like Western Europe and Japan, you know, all of whose currency were tied to the dollar and the dollar was tied to gold. The problem was that with all of these dollars and dollar-backed securities out there in the world, the United States was still only adding, you know, one or two percent a year to its gold reserve. It had the largest stockpile of gold in, in the world by far. It's not like there wasn't enough of the stuff, but there wasn't enough of the stuff. Too yeah. much wasn't enough because if all the dollars were cashed in at, at gold uh, for gold at the Treasury window, the gold would disappear. There wouldn't be enough to go around. But you can't close the window because then you create an international Not crisis panic, yeah. because suddenly the United States isn't backing up its currency anymore. It was a it was a, a real dilemma and one that pushed policymakers into some very strange places. Right, right. 
Well, the Korean president likes gold, at least. He yeah. certainly he has a lot of it on his escalators. And That's right. He, yeah, and... someone someone suggested to me that I should try and add up all of the the gold that that Trump has used in his various properties, but I, I don't have quite Trump that much Tower time maybe, you know, uh, Trump Tower alone. 10% of the uh, US That's gold right. output. Uh, during the 2016 campaign, there there was not a lot of rhetoric about the gold standard in in part, I think, yeah. because the price of gold was much lower in 2016 than it was in 2012 and that these types of debates tend to get both louder and more passionate when gold is higher for whatever reason. But but Trump was asked about it, and he, he basically said, boy, it would be great if we could do that because then our money would be based on something. And he flirted with some treasury nominees uh, who were advocates of gold standard, but he, he ended up going with a kind of more uh, traditional kind of banker types. Again, I, I think the Trump administration seems to have trouble even, you know, getting its executive orders to be enforced. I, uh, taking on something of this magnitude and difficulty is, I think, beyond... Oh, you know, it's... Yeah. No, I, it's pie in the sky. It, it also only makes sense as a global standard, right? If you if you only had it, the gold standard in the United States right now, you would, depending on, on, on what price you restored it at, you would either have a massive outflux of gold or a massive influx of gold. If it's not a worldwide standard, you might as well just throw it in the garbage. So when you look back at the last, you know, the, the history of the United States and gold, you obviously looked at also sort of the political questions around gold. You, there's a seems to be a link between populism and gold. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, what did you find when you yeah, look back Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because it depends on where we are in, in history, but the, the most powerful kind of, you know, metallic-based argument was toward the end of the, the 19th century with William Jennings Bryan. The, cro- the cross uh, of gold. The cross of gold speech. Right. But in, in that case, gold was the the symbol of the East Coast wealthy bankers and their, you know, their European and, and let's face it, a lot of the populace would also say their Jewish backers in, you know, in Europe, the Rothschilds, et cetera. There was quite a lot of anti-Semitism floating around uh, at that time in, in those quarters. And the the channel of populist revolt was silver. and the, that was being mined out in the that's Western right. states. That's right. And so, and, and, and the, newly become states. And this tremendous feeling that the, the government had somehow, you know, Miscalculated the gold to silver ratio. I mean, it gets very obscure very right. quickly. But but these were these were the the, the 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 motivators for tens and thousands of people to 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 both you know vote for William Jennings Bryan and 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 participate in all kinds of not enough uh, to make him president. No, he I ran mean, three times and he lost. Uh, but the cross of gold speech remains, I think, one of the great instances of, of American rhetoric. So, so for at, at that point, you have you have kind of gold as the as the as the bad guy in the populist tale. Uh, but then after FDR bans it, then it's the dollar and the central banks that are the bad guy, and gold is the good guy. So the the the, the populist energy is quite fluid and and can attach itself to to lots of different things. It's not just as with value itself. Right. There's nothing intrinsic in gold that's that's pro-populist or anti-populist. It's just kind of where people are at the time versus where the currency is. But actually, in some ways, the, the debate goes back even before that to the, to the Civil War. When the shots at Fort Sumter first occurred and, and you have a full-scale rebellion, there was essentially no money in the United States Treasury. I mean, they, they were having trouble paying members of Congress. The government was broke. And suddenly, you need to you know, raise this massive army yeah. and navy. And you, you, know, you, can, you can, of course, impose taxes and tariffs. Uh, but those things take quite a while to get any kind of money. You can borrow money. But... The United States credit rating was not particularly good, especially when the South, which was the you know the basis of all the, the mm-hmm. cotton and, and and agriculture, cuts itself off. Suddenly, the United States does not look like a very good credit risk. Right. Uh, so they couldn't borrow the money, and so what they did was to create 
paper money, greenbacks. For the first time, this was federally issued money that was not backed by any currency, and it was much derided. Uh, there were people that said this is the, this is the end of Western civilization, uh, and that it, it is a great you know a great insult to a great nation to have to do this. And so, at that time, if you were in favor of gold. You were essentially saying you're in favor of secession, you're in favor of states' rights, and right. you're and in your, you're in favor of, of 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 limiting the the ability of the North even to fight the war. So that 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 populist divide, very profound, uh, begins in in. You well, know, you in see the shapes right to this day. Absolutely. Don't you? What? How has this fascination with gold manifested itself culturally? Did you? take a look at that. I did a little bit. I mean, that's that's it's not the main focus of the book, but you couldn't do this book without mentioning The Wizard of Oz. Uh, the Yellow Brick Road. The Yellow Brick Road. Um, the book is published in 1900. People who haven't read the book uh, but have only seen the movie may not realize that Dorothy's slippers in the book are made of silver, not uh-huh. rubies. So she's got silver <laughs> silver slippers on a gold brick road, right? And uh, uh, in 1964, a, a high school English teacher published this fascinating essay in which he argued, I think quite persuasively, that the book is a parable about the monetary debates of, of the 1896 yeah. that William Jennings Bryan read. The Cowardly Lion is William Jennings Bryan, a little bit of Cockney <laughs> rhyming slang for you. Yeah, uh, uh, obviously, um, what the, about the Tin Man? The, the, I think the Tin, the, the tin Man is the, uh, is the industrial, uh, the, the industrial right. revolution, right? Uh, the, the Scarecrow represents agricultural interests. Um, Oz, OZ, hello, ounces, yes, like yeah, what do yeah, we measure yeah, gold yeah, in? Exactly. I mean, it's like, it, it, Emerald City, it gets better and better the deeper you go. Now, you can take this too far, and, and of course, you know, there are, there are people who argue that, that um, Frank Baum, who wrote the book, you know, didn't, didn't have all these things in mind, but I think um, the, the evidence is pretty clear that he was, he was you know, following these, uh, these elections very closely, writing about them for, for journals of the time. He was quite aware of, of what he was doing, and the very fact that we can, you know, debate whether, whether this is true or not, you know, a hundred plus years later, I think tells you something about the cultural impact. You know, I also looked at things like, again, in, in the 50s, when these prohibitions against gold ownership just started to look more and more absurd because Americans were prospering and could afford more gold jewelry. And, you know, there was a, a, a kind of lively wink, wink, black market in gold. And when Floyd Patterson re, retook the uh, heavyweight championship. His his manager Customato got him this crown made out of gold <laughs> that apparently set off all these alarm bells at the at the FBI. They had to investigate what New York jewelers were doing in terms of of, of making gold for people. But it, it was it was inevitable that that Americans would come to own gold again as an investment. It just you know it just kind of had to happen politically. And then the way that things often happen in Washington, it happens haphazardly. Right. It gets attached to a bill that's really about something else. I mean, it's classic. Right. So. Uh, Looking at the future, I mean, do you think gold is going to continue to play this sort of outsized role in our discussion about finance in America? Yeah, I don't think it goes away anytime soon. I mean, as you know, as some of the opponents of of the Fed Federal Reserve System have noted, you know, if gold weren't valuable, then why do central banks hold so much of it? Uh, and I mean, the answer that uh, Bernanke and others have given is, well, it's it's kind of a tradition. Well, that's sort of true. It, it is also a, you know, a, a way to to store value. It may or may not be the most efficient way to store value, but it's more efficient than silver, for example. And I don't think that today, 
it plays any particularly terrible role in, in our monetary system. I mean, there are people like James Rickards and others who argue that China is in the process of stockpiling gold and China's now the world's largest gold producer yeah. and that, you know, n- there is no such thing in, in, in history as a permanent global monetary order, right? So the, the, the order that we have now, while it seems to us as, you know, as, as stable and as kind of scientific as any that's ever been developed, it's probably got a limited lifetime. And what's going to happen next? Well, could there be a role for gold? Absolutely there could. And that's sort of Rickard's argument, that a lot of the world is already preparing for that future post, right. you know, post-dollar, post-floating currency. But ask them to give you a time horizon, and it gets really vague really quickly. Um, but I, but I, as I said, I mean, I, and there there are also been some, I, I write a, a little bit about this in the final chapter, there have been some experiments on the state level to to restore gold as legal tender. It's... Like, what, it's like largely symbolic. Well, like so, ba- basically, you could you could you could use gold, you know, in in a daily transaction, and it would be considered legal tender in the state of Utah for the last few years. However, you can only spend it at its face value. So you might have a $10 gold coin that's worth $1,000 if you're dumb enough oh, right. to buy so a Snickers ten, bar with it. Yeah, using a Krugerrand to, right. buy, a, it, it, to, to buy a pack of gum. But um, not a six-pack. Probably but, right, not in Utah. That, that probably not in Utah. <laughs> um, and, and again, these types of experiments, I think, are largely symbolic. You also have an effort on the part of the, the government of Texas to try to create a, 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 bull, a, like a, a continent-wide bullion reserve. Right. Um, these, the, I think these represent kind of the overactive imaginations of, of political gold bugs. I don't I don't think they are I hardly pointing. think Utah is in the mainstream. Yeah, I don't think they're pointing to us toward a new monetary future in and of themselves. But they obviously work on some level for some portion of the, of the electorate. And that's something I think we, we have to pay attention to. Right. All right. So good luck with the book. Are you going to are you going to plow any of the um, proceeds into a uh, Gold investments? No, I'm not invested in gold, uh, <laughs> not only because it would arguably represent a conflict of interest for the book, but mostly it doesn't appeal to me very much as, as an investor. It, um, Like anything else, it's tremendously subject to market timing. You could make a lot of money sure. if you bought and sold at the right time. Um, it's also very difficult. I mean, I, I think I could do it, but I think uh, one, of the, one of the issues with gold ownership is that again because of the psychological hold it has and because of some of the aura of secrecy around it um it really lends itself badly to fraud uh the history yeah. of gold fraud especially in in the last you know 30 to 40 years is, is pretty ugly and even if you're buying it intelligently in its physical form you can get socked with shipping fees storage fees transaction fees right. that basically make it impossible to make any money if you're if you're unless you're you know buying it and burying it in the ground um which also doesn't appeal which to people me. Some pe- I, I remember talking to one sort of rich guy during the financial crisis who was uh, stocking up on bars of gold. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, there was a there was a bestseller in 1970 called uh, "How You Can Profit from the from the Coming Devaluation" by a guy called Harry Brown, who later becomes the Libertarian candidate for Naturally, president in 1980. Yeah. And uh, it was it, again he was writing when it was still illegal for Americans to own gold. And not only was he telling you how to do it, but advising that you should bury it in your back, backyard. It, it was a massive bestseller. I mean, yeah. again, the economy was falling apart in 1970, so it, looked, it looked better yeah. than that. All right, Jim. Well, good luck with it. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks so much, Rob. Okay, if Jim's right, the debate over gold's role in the American financial system won't be going away anytime soon. 
And I would not be surprised if the whole discussion of cryptocurrencies gets wrapped up into the mix. And not just because we have a man in the White House today who likes the shiny metal in his toilet fixtures. Anyway, that's it for now. We'll be back with another edition of The Exchange next week. I'd like to thank our producers, Bethel Habti, Kate Duguid, and Andrew D'Antonio, and all of you for listening. If you haven't already, by the way, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, The Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter at BreakingViews and at Rob Wancox. Thanks for tuning in and adios. Adios.